We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's your True Faith podcast. Uh, Eddie Howe special. Eddie Howe is officially our manager uh, and to celebrate this momentous, actually it was yesterday, but celebrate this momentous week. I'm going to give it a week. Uh, it is me, Charlotte Robson. I'm joined by Norman Riley, Simon Campbell and special guest Chris Woff of The Athletic. Thank you all very much for joining me this evening to talk Eddie Howe. Um, we have done lots of how content, including Norman did a great interview with a Bournemouth fan, long, long time Bournemouth fan from sort of League Division Two. Um, uh, uh, that's on our Patreon platform. We've also got lots on our YouTube channel. So do check it all out if you enjoy this. Um, let me see. That I think is all the housekeeping I wanted to say. So let's dive right in. Let's talk emotion. Um, Chris, I'll come to you first. You're our you're our guest star today. Um, how do you feel that now that Eddie Howe has um, been been confirmed? I know other candidates were in the offing for a little bit. How do you feel? What emotions does it bring out in you? I mean, first, from a selfish point of view, I'm relieved as a reporter that finally I have. It's not just speculation. I'm reporting on that someone's there. But in terms of in terms of how I feel about him as an appointment and what this can mean for Newcastle United, I, I feel genuine excitement. I, I like I, I do also have a few concerns, but I would have had a few concerns regardless of who would have been appointed Newcastle United head coach because of the situation that they find themselves in and because of the scale of the task ahead. But I think that how is progressive. He's exciting. He's got an idea of how he wants to play. We've already seen a 15-second video today, which has, has made Newcastle Twitter explode with, <laughs> with just enthusiasm at the fact that they have, a, they have a head coach who has been on the training ground, who is demanding more. And, and that's everyone you speak to about Eddie Howe just talks about that and talks so much. The word detail comes up over and over and over again. And I've heard stories today speaking to, to people who've worked with them before about presentations being given to Eddie Howe and then basically asking for the entire presentation to be rewritten because there's one mistake in it. And he says, if there's one mistake in it, then how do I know that the rest of the presentation is correct? That is the caliber and the specifics of the man that we have who is coming into Newcastle United. And I'm just excited to see what he can do with this team. Would drive you nuts though if you were the person who'd done the presentation, wouldn't it? it would, I'd be like, oh, I hate this guy. But for me as a fan, I'm like, brilliant. I love this guy. That's awesome. Norman, how are you feeling generally, generally feeling about this appointment? Well, I mean, you know, Chris can talk all he wants about detail, but does he make Callum Wilson laugh? That's the big question because that's the most important thing. If you remember, that was one of Steve's Steve's big <laughs> skills as a manager. So uh, we don't have that. What do we have here? Eh? No, I'm, um, I'm absolutely delighted. Me and Alex did a podcast on Friday from a hotel in where was it? It was Brighton, wasn't it? That's where right. you, you lose track, don't you? And um, you know, I, I was very enthusiastic then. I, I think he's a he's a wonderful manager. The fact that he's only 42 years old and he's already got so many games behind him, achieved so much, suggests to me that this is somebody who who not only already knows a lot through the experience he's got, but also just consistently constantly wants to learn and Having watched Bournemouth in the Premier League, and obviously, you know, the last season, I think, was a bit of an outlier, mitigating circumstances, etc. He does he does have an idea of how he wants to play. He wants to play attacking football. And that, for me, will automatically ignite the fan base. I think against Brentford, we'll see signs of it pretty much early on. The crowd is going to be really up for it. And if we, if we, win, if we win that game, I genuinely feel it'll be a, a form of liftoff. And 
And I think Howe's got the capacity to to bring to us what we need right now, which is to get the team playing, get out of the relegation zone. But also, I think he's intelligent enough and he is determined enough to, to take the club forward. I'm really excited. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And Simon, you're normally our resident slight sort of cynic. Is that fair to say? How are you feeling about it? Really, really sad, guys. Really sad. <laughs> um, this is the the first time in my life that I'm looking at any castle manager and thinking, God, he looks more youthful than I do. And that, that was a really sad moment of realisation. He's younger than me. He's, he's younger than normal. He's not yet. I'm not in my 40s. Devastated. Player, but he, he looks easy. I've had a tough paper on compared to him. He looks he looks so youthful, doesn't he? Um, so that, that made me feel a bit sad. But no, um, Chris, what you said about, um, about finally being able to report some news and not just speculation, speculation, that's kind of... I'm so drained in Newcastle United news by speculation that I haven't really had a chance for this to emotionally hit me until the pictures came out today of training in the in the video footage. And I felt like I got something back that I haven't had for, for years now. Just enthusiasm for what's happening at, at the football club and in the, the training ground. Pictures from Benton. I mean, they used to make me angry seeing pictures of Bruce just kind of sitting there just blowing and just kind of this two Steves bumbling around with cones. You never really took took anything from that other than irritation. And it just it was so different, wasn't it? Just seeing that today, the all the excitement and and seeing all the excitement and happiness that some simple pictures of training brought people. Um so yeah, something's something's changed. I mean, how looks engaged, he looks hungry, he looks determined. I mean, seven o'clock start. I mean, I, I don't know who got there first, but seeing pictures of him turning up to training at like ten to seven or whatever it was, mm. something's changed, hasn't it? And for the first time for me, I am engaged, I am hungry, and I'm, you know, as determined uh, to, to be part of Newcastle again as 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 how it seems. So it's it's all very exciting, isn't it? And um the the little clip that came out on NUFC Twitter today, three words that stood out for me, just a little clip of how saying, push each other. How uh-huh. good is that man? That's just so that's so nice to hear. Those three words have not been said on that training ground for several years, have they? No, definitely not. And there's and there's also that clip I think lots of people have been sharing where he's like, there's people standing around, that's no good. And <laughs> and you're just like, oh my God, these players, <laughs> they haven't had training like this in a little while, I don't think. But it's so nice. And it was also totally at odds, isn't it? Um, with this sort of media portrayal of um, these like power or like title hungry deluded Newcastle fans who are actually just buzzing that the windows got cleaned and then buzzing that a manager's taking training at a, a normal time <laughs> and, and actually engaging players so it is it's it I think it's it's also nice that you're so cheery Simon I've never really not in years known you to be this um sort of galvanized I guess happy <laughs> yeah well yeah happy happy and galvanized and engaged and that's nice and I'm sure the same for lots of people listening or watching so that's excellent very pleased about that I'll come back to you Simon actually on this one because how is here and it's positive and there's lots and Chris I will come to you after Simon um and unless you butt in you must please feel free to um how is here there's positivity we're excited we are still 19th we are still very much in a relegation battle so I, I think you have vocalized that you don't think we'll stay up this season is that still the case now or do you think we will mm. yeah classic simon coming here um <laughs> no to be fair, there is time. There is time to turn this round and just the energy from how, as Norman says, if we can get a win in a week and five days or whatever it is, that could could just send us in the in the right direction on from the off. You know, we've got three very winnable home games out of the next five games. All right, Arsenal away is not brilliant, but you could maybe look at a point there. So we can get 10 points from five games. The relegation fear goes away because then we get to January in much better shape and blah blah blah. Um, however, that's that's a big big ask given where we actually are now. You know, it's easy to think, well, you know what, new manager, brilliant, but so much damage has been done, and um, we've been talking for weeks now about how we need a structure in place and and kind of what needs to be done first. Um, we still need that. We still need a director of football. We still need a plan outside of how he's not good. This. Alex Ferguson in his prime could take over Newcastle now and we could still get relegated. That's how bad it is. You know, we he's going to need some help. He's going to need a sporting director. They should be talking about and getting transfers lined up for the 1st of January. That should all be happening now. That needs to happen in the next few weeks. They need to identify, right, here's what we've got. Here's where I think we are. Here's where we're weak. You know, 
We need fullbacks. We need at least one proper centre midfielder. We need cover for Callum Wilson. Without those things, it's going to be really, really hard to stay up just based on what we've currently got. Now, I've always said, and I still maintain, that this squad of players should probably be mid-table on paper and, and with proper coaching could be, but we don't have that luxury now. We've got 11 games where we haven't won, so there's just too much to do. Um, so, yes, the first thing they need to do is have a look, really, really get to grips with the signings they want to make and have them ready for the first week of January. In my opinion, that's everything hinges on that transfer window. So they should be doing it now, all that work. That's the first thing, in my opinion, they need to do. So it's a kind of round the houses answer. And what I'm getting from you is maybe, maybe we'll be relegated, but but also maybe not, which is probably about as positive as I've heard you about it. Yeah, I, I, I think we could go down. I, I really do. And I don't think that would be Howe's fault. That's what I'm trying to say. So right. he's got such a big job here. However, I don't know, a day of excitement and enthusiasm makes me think that yeah, we'll probably stay up. Yeah, Mickey Mickey probably thinks we'll be going for Europe now in this <laughs> season. He gets very carried away. Chris, what do you think? You know, we have to be realistic about it. We have had a te- the worst start to a Premier League season we've ever had. Um, what do you think? Do you think we have what it takes? Is it too early to tell? I do think that they have what it takes, but equally, I think they're in a seriously, seriously difficult position. It's not just 11 games this season that they've been in relegation form. As so many of us have said for so long, the the underlying metrics have been there that have shown regression over time and they got away with it for quite a long period of time. But then essentially since last December, Newcastle have been on an awful run of form, barring two or three months. And that is... The, the players are conditioned to play a certain way. I think we saw that in the last sort of 10 minutes against Brighton when Brighton were down to 10 men and when they had a goalkeeper in goal who isn't a goalkeeper. That Newcastle lacked that sort of a killing instinct, that, kill that ability to even think about, think on their feet and think, how are we going to go and win this game? I think there was so much lacking in-game intelligence there. And that's what Eddie Howe needs to bring. That's one of the many elements he needs to bring. And the, the main concern I have with Howe in terms of turning this around is that I do worry about the defence and I do worry about changing things defensively. I do believe that if Howe can improve Newcastle on the ball and improve them from having an average of 35% possession to closer to 40% possession, that will start to help matters to a certain degree because it will mean that the opposition have the ball slightly less. But that's not Howe's ideals, how how he works. It's not exactly uh, the the sort of archetypal relegation uh, avoiding manager you'd expect in those circumstances so that concerns me a little bit and I do think it will take time to to, to really change the style of play of this side I think we I agree with Norman I think we will see it come the first game against Brentford but how much he kind of developed by then how long it will take to really change it and does he have the component parts to be able to play how he wants to play like he did at Bournemouth the defenders don't necessarily play out from the back in the same way that he would have done there the fullbacks were very important to the way he played at, at Bournemouth they would underlap they would overlap they would work with wingers at the moment Newcastle aren't even playing with wingers in theory they have them so there's a lot of work for Eddie Howe to do but I do believe what gives me confidence is that he has confidence he can do it. He hasn't taken this job with the intention of going down and coming back up. He's identified this. He's waited for a position. He could have gone to Celtic and he opted not to. He's had other offers previously as well. He's also been overlooked for certain positions, but he has been waiting for a project. He sees the excitement here and he sees that this is a heck of a job going forward, but I do believe I can keep Newcastle up and then build. And so therefore I gain confidence from that. Yeah. Yeah. Both allowed to make fantastic points, uh, numerous fantastic points. Don't disagree at all. However, I'm just going to go full tilt positive here, right? Let's let's look at it like this. Started off at Bournemouth when he was 31, 32, maybe. Um, they were minus 17 points, minus 17. Um, kept them up, right? So his winning record was obviously incredible to, to do that. Obviously, the Premier League and, you know, League Two, whatever it was, 12 years ago. Different, yes. But, if, you know, if you look at it in context... In terms of competitiveness, Newcastle United are a Premier League side in the Premier League. Bournemouth are a League Two side in League Two. You know, you, you can look at it and think, well, if he's done that before, maybe he can he can inspire the the, the team as it is right now to pick up enough points to now in the end of the season. I totally believe that he can. Um, is it unrealistic to think that we can go on a run of five or six games, winning streak? Not right now, obviously. You know, the, the fixtures coming up are tough. He doesn't have the players in that he maybe wants to bring in over the Christmas, uh, sorry, over the January transfer window. But, you know, you look at Newcastle United and Alan Pardew would lose a load of games and then we win four or five off the spin. That's a possibility. It's not beyond the realms of fantasy to, to think along those lines. 
I look at his record as a Premier League manager. So you look at the fixtures coming up next month, right? Very tough. I look at his record as a Premier League as a Premier League manager. Numerous wins over Chelsea, um, possibly up to four wins over Chelsea. Beat Spurs, beat Man United twice, beat Liverpool. So he knows how to go into these kind of big games and prepare for them. That that gives me a lot of confidence as well. Um, Chris mentioned in the defence here, spot on. However, what I feel we'll see from Eddie Howe is I'm actually playing defenders in defence as opposed to, let's say, Emil Kraft on the right-hand side of a, of a back three. Now, I, I don't doubt for a second, Ferdy Fernandez has probably got a role to play. I'd like to think that. I'd like to think Fabian Shea has, if you think that, obviously, Eddie Howe likes to play this kind of possession-based football, keep the ball on the floor. Fabian Shea could come back in the side. Even just by putting in those players in the side, you're probably improving the defence. Yes, that'll fall apart after a while if they're not given tactical training. But initially, that might give, give them a little bit of a fill-up until the transfer window and until he's had time to kind of embed what he wants to do. Um, I also look at someone like Matt Ritchie. And Matt Ritchie played as a right winger, a right midfielder at Bournemouth in his proper position. He wasn't playing as a left wing-back or wherever it is. Am I saying Matt Ritchie can do a job on the right-hand side of midfield now in the Premier League? Maybe not. But what it suggests to me is that Eddie Howe likes to play players in the actual positions. And just by the, doing that, by Dane of doing that, I think we're going to see an improvement. So I am feeling confident enough that he can do it. Of course, it's going to be tough, but my God, he can do it. There's something in it being tough that's kind of exciting to get behind as well. I don't know if anybody else uh, feels that. Like I like I like that there's a that there's a challenge to this. I like that we're not you know like clear of relegate, like not doing that well, but clear of relegate. Not a villa, you know that kind of thing. Getting a new manager in, I quite like that sort of. You have to, as a Newcastle fan, I think, like that sort of fight and that and that story, because I think we're, what we're at now is the beginning of quite an exciting story being that's going to get told for Newcastle United. So, so I, I I'm with you, Norman, and and Chris and Sai. Um, I think I think we just about have it. I think it's a big job and it's um a hard job, but it's one we can all get behind. And I think I think as well, fans are really behind. Eddie Howe, I think that they're excited about it. So that comment I made, and then and then Chris, you've touched on it, and Norman, you've also touched on it about signings in the January window that we need to be much is made of Eddie Howe's signings in the Premier League when he was at Bournemouth, and much is it, it's used to deride him a little bit that these signings were big money signings. Not really, but the big money signings that weren't good and didn't work. And um, and that is used as a bit of a... I think most people are excited about him, but I think there's a little bit of wariness about this. But I also think the narrative might not be quite aligned with the truth. And I know, Norman, you know more about this and would like to come in on it. So I will defer to you. What 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 about that? What about that comment? I'm just going to launch straight into it. It's, it's a myth, right? Every football manager with assault, right, has brought in players that have been successes in the field. With how it's magnified, because obviously Bournemouth are a team that gets, what, 10,500 gates in the Premier League. So when he spends a, a significant amount for, for Bournemouth, not for a Premier League team, right? Dominic Solanke, first one I'll, I'll mention, cost him 20 million, I think, from Liverpool. There's an argument he didn't do it in the Premier League. Well, he didn't, right? But he had two seasons there. He was in a side that was struggling a bit. He's banging the goals into the Championship now. Let's look at it like this. Dominic Solanke, if Bournemouth sold him new, he would cost the team buying him more than 20 million, right? So is that a failure? Possibly not. Is this somebody who's going to come in the Premier League next season and score goals? Maybe so. Um, Brad Smith, I think, would be the other one you'd, you'd say was maybe a failure. And Jordan Ibe. But between them, they cost 25 million. It's not like this is gigantic amounts of money in Premier League terms. And what I prefer to focus on is the players who've, who've worked out for him. Aaron Ramsdale, 800 grand from Sheffield United. Sold them for 18 and a half million after after a season, basically. Um, Matt Ritchie, 400 grand, sold for 13 and a half million. Um, Nathan Aki, 20 million in. There's your big signing, 20 million, sold for 40 million. Um, the, you know, the, the, the list goes on. In fact, I'll, I'll just get, I might as well just give you a couple more. Um, <laughs> you know, Ty, Tyrone Mings, it didn't necessarily work out for Mings at, at Bournemouth. The, I think they paid 8 million for him. Um, he went on loan to Villa, they sold him for 20 million. Um, he had a serious injury as well. Yes, exactly. exactly. There, there it is. He's in England international now. Jonathan Lerma, a big signing from Colombia, comes in. He doesn't necessarily hit the ground running straight away, but now he's an integral part of the team in the championship. And again, a player you think will make the step up. And they've got this young kid at the moment, Bristol City. And I'm talking about now for a player, this kid called Leon Kelly, Lloyd Kelly, sorry. Young kid from Bristol City. How brought him in? He's now captain in the side. He's in his early 20s. They've got Gary Cahill in there. Yet Parker, I trust this lab with the captaincy. 
How saw that, right? He saw that ability. So for me, every manager, every manager makes mistakes with mm. signings. We look at Rafa at Newcastle, you know, we paid nine and a half million for Muto. It's, you know, that, that, was, a, that was a terrible signing. Um, so we, we paid 30 and a half million for Jacob Murphy. Could you argue that he's been the success that we thought he might be? Possibly not, right? So no, I've got no, I've got no concerns on that whatsoever. Every manager makes mistakes. And how, for me, if I look at his record, his bought better, uh, more players that have gone on to do better things that have, have been sold on for more than he's than he's lost out money. So no, I'm not concerned. Yeah, and I think um, from a sort of business point of view for our new owners, that's that's obviously an attractive prospect as well. Like, okay, maybe those they didn't work out, but it, they made money on them. So, so from from that perspective, it's it's not negative. Sai, did you want to come in on this? And then Chris, I'll ask you an, an, a question too. Yeah, I can't add much more to what Norman said. Actually, I mean, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Nathan Ake basically covers the cost of of, of, of the, the supposed failures, isn't it? Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Every manager has. You can tell whichever story you want to tell. You can you can focus on Akraf Lazar and and Muto if you want for Rafa, but then you'd be ignoring Matt Ritchie, grade seven at the club. Dwight Gale, priceless when we bought him. Modi Arme, brilliant servant. Rondon, excellent for one year. You know. Lejeune, Shah, these are brilliant signings for Newcastle. So really, you could focus on a couple of duds who, who cost quite a bit of money. But I mean, you could even flip that on its head. And I'm going to say something nice about Steve Bruce here. St. Maximan, great signing for Newcastle. Callum Wilson, great signing for Newcastle. Joel Negated Linton. by Joe Linton. Probably. Yeah, Joe Linton, Hendrik Kraft. It depends which story <laughs> you want to tell. Um, it's it just football signings aren't that simple. There's, there's loads of reasons why a, a signing might not work out. It's not just down to the manager. The whole move from a different country or even just a different part of this country is is a big deal. Some some players don't settle, family, language barriers, don't get on with their teammates, injuries. There's so many reasons why a transfer might go well or it might not. It's just it's just a stupid thing to be really measuring a manager on. It's a really silly comparison that not everyone it just makes good makes good chit chat, doesn't it? But it's it's largely meaningless, in my opinion. Spot, spot on. Callum Wilson cost three million, so for twenty million. Um, Callum yeah. Wilson took a chance on right there's your big one right there. But also, even going back to Burnley again, he's kind of derided for what happened to Burnley. Um, they were mitigating circumstances. If you if you look into it, I think there were possibly issues with a really close relative of his at the time. But regardless of that, he still brought in Danny Ings and Charlie Austin, right? I mean, you know, the, the man's got an eye for a player. Um, Charlie Austin, Danny Ings basically fired Burnley the promotion, right? I'm, I'm I have to double check that, but I'm pretty sure that's that's uh, that's spot on. And if it's not, then if it's, if it's not, then I'm retiring. It's not a retiring podcast forever. No, you're usually right. You'll be fine. First, um, Norman kind of mentioned something there, and I wonder if you've got much of an insight from um, colleagues at The Athletic or just yourself watching how interviews and things like that, this sort of idea that he, he what he brings out in players and, um, and identifies in players have you had much of a sense of that from from conversations you've had or knowledge that you already just own before i touch upon that i just want to jump in on the recruitment thing and, and ahead, the interest and the and the interesting element of that and which i as a reporter probably should be able to answer and i don't know the answer to this question yet but it's something which i'm going to try and find out is how much influence how will actually have in january i don't mm. know the answer to that yet obviously we are expecting a sporting director or a director of football whatever direction newcastle will go down uh, and that route, someone to come in, and it'll be interesting to see how that works out because really Newcastle have done it backwards, the, the way of appointing it. They have to because they need a manager now, but ideally you would like to appoint the person above first and then make sure they can work together. They're going to be doing it the other way around, and whoever comes in, how much say how is going to have. I know that during conversations before he took the job, he stressed certain areas of the team he wanted to strengthen. I think he identified a few players that may go after but whether he was told you will be able to sign these players I don't know the answer to that question so it'll be interesting in recruitment on that front as to how much say Eddie Howe actually gets at Newcastle in terms of their question about what he identifies within players well I know that one of the key tr criteria at Bournemouth that he wanted in his players first and foremost was was technical ability and at Newcastle, he's going to struggle to find that in certain areas of the team when he first comes in. And he's got then to get players to play in that exact way. But I know at certain points, they almost overlooked 
other areas of the team, uh, other sort of characteristics that you might have seen in a defender. What they wanted first and foremost was this defender needs to be able to play the way we want to play because otherwise the team will suffer. So they may not be the best out-and-out defender in the world, but they will be able to play with the ball. They will be able to play in the system that he wants. They will be able to play the line that he wants. They will be able to connect with teammates in that sense. And I was also uh, told as well that the character is very important for Eddie Howe and that he will he, he will look at players and he may decide th- look at a player and say he's, he's a very good player. He may be a technically a very good player. He may, in some senses, on the pitch, be able to add a lot. But if he isn't going to buy into exactly what he wants in the team, if he isn't going to fit into that work ethic, certainly that he built at Bournemouth, that was crucial at Bournemouth for bringing them up through the league, that everyone had to fit together, everyone had to be harmonious. It's something he believes in and, and having that harmony across the team. And so I think that's also what he'd be looking for in January. He'd be thinking, you, you come in, you, he's already assessed the Newcastle squad externally, but seeing internally the exact environment he's inherent in is slightly different. And I think that will shape going forward exactly what he's going to need as well, because he needs to know who can I bring in and how are they going to really balance and improve what we've already got. That's really interesting. And and something that, you know, you think about um, stories of like ASM, not getting on with Favre and stuff like that. Um, Norman's just checked and he was right. Of course he was right. He was always going to be right. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'm interested in these more these bigger characters that we've got. Really, I'm thinking ASM and like maybe a couple more in the changing room um, and seeing how he reacts to that. But uh, time will tell on that one and, and we'll see in how he sets up and, how, and who he decides to use. We are going to be right back after these messages. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome Okay, we're back. Um, hopefully there were adverts in there for you listening at home. Or if you don't like adverts, you should join our Patreon. We put this up there without them on there. That's £5.50 a month uh, for absolutely loads of content, stuff like this. Norman does loads of other stuff we've done. We've done Prem Patter. Norman's in my head today because I've been listening to him. So he's got Prem Patter every, every Monday slash Sunday, uh, rounding up the weekend's games and then uh, he spoke to a Bournemouth fan. We do all kinds of other stuff. We do previews and um, and match day. And oh, there's so much stuff on there. It's just, you should you should have a look. I'll just add quickly that for um, listeners who, who detest me with all I might. Um, there are other people contributing to Curtis. Oh, there's heaps. There's heaps. Simon's fine. on there. <laughs> I, I'm sometimes on there. Alex is on there. There's heaps. But um, anyway, let's get back to talking Eddie Howe and the appointment and how we're all feeling. Chris, I'm coming back to you uh, because I think it's interesting that you have only ever written about Newcastle United. You've been a fan, I've presumably all your life, um, but you've only ever written about Newcastle United in the Ashley era um, because you are a spring chicken and um, and younger than Eddie Howe. 
just like most of us on this podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Norman. First time in my life. First time in my life that the manager has been older than me, and um, it's a seismic moment that I, I haven't quite sort of grappled with yet, and I don't want to. I don't want to really. That's okay. We won't mention it again. We don't have to address it again. Just pretend. Don't ever mention happening. it again. So, um, so yes, yeah, so so so, Chris, you've you've only written about Newcastle United in this Ashley era, in this quite painful era, and then you've been at the Athletic pretty much only in the the Bruce years. I I think I'm right in saying that. Um, how does it feel to you, like sort of? I, I don't know. How does it feel to be suddenly writing about something that's quite exciting? I know you kind of touched on this, but... It's, it's a great question, and it's one which I don't think it's quite sunk in yet. I mean, I had this immediately after the, the takeover was being concluded. I kept getting asked by people, oh, how are you feeling? You must, it must feel great. And it was, at that point, for the first two or three weeks after the takeover, it was just so busy, like it transformed overnight from Newcastle being the basket case club who the desk were only interested in whenever there was a mental story going on and then they'd say, oh, Chris, can you do something on this? To suddenly, we were the main story in football and and, and it was, it was George and I were just so busy all of the time that I didn't really have time to, to sort of sit back and, and really consider that. Yeah. I've then moved house, I've then been ill. And so I haven't written, and Newcastle have still remained to be crap on the pitch. So I haven't really <laughs> had time to fully sort of process all of that but but just just thinking about about going for thinking about how different it is going to be writing about the club I mean it, it's it's weird sort of saying that at the minute when they are still massively in a significant relegation battle and they could on the balance of things at the moment look more likely to be a championship side than not in the evidence of this season so far so to think about a positive future is strange but I'm I'm really excited. I mean, co- covering the club under, under Rafa Benitez was was it was it was certainly for the first eighteen months was it was a very exciting time as well, and it felt like a club on the up. It felt like things were moving, even though Mike Ashley was there. It did it did feel different for for about twelve eighteen months before things obviously went the way that they did, and so that's the closest I can sort of relate to in terms of what I felt in my professional life covering the club so far. But there's still the same sort of turmoil in, in terms of st- still it's still volatile, the situation. Things are still changing. There's still going to be more change coming. We still don't know the exact structure of how things are going to be. We still don't know what league Newcastle are going to be in next year. So in that sense, it's difficult to sort of separate and say it's any different. But just thinking about Eddie Howe and the fact that he's going to be going into a transfer window where, in theory, Newcastle are going to be positioned to back him, to actually sign players he will want, or so whoever is given the decision-making powers will want to actually materially improve the team and for ha- to have a manager there who, again, is is looking to, to get that every ounce out of the side to really improve them. It, it is it is exciting and it is, it is good to think that in a couple of years' time, if things work out well, it isn't going to be that we get to October and it's going to be the same conversations that we have over and over and over again. Yeah, year on year. Everyone involved in Newcastle United, it's going to be different and it's going to be fresh and it's going to be the thought of we're looking up the table, not down. We, we can think about, you can go to, rather than going to Old Trafford and thinking, well, this is going to be another game where Newcastle, if Newcastle lose 4-1, then that's just going to be standard. It's going to be thinking, can Newcastle actually go to Old Trafford and win this? Can they go to places like that and actually progress? Have they got a manager there who is going to go and set up his side to actually try and win? And that is very, very difficult to sort of process at this moment in time. And I think it's going to take me time. And until we get to the stage when Newcastle are actually slightly higher at the table and Eddie Howe has been able to instill some of his ideas. I'm not sure it's quite going to sink in. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, it must just be, I mean, it's, it's kind of mad for all of us, I think as well. Um, and, and we don't have to, I mean, we make content on it. Sure. But we, we don't, um, uh, we don't have to, Norman's disappeared. He's got a knock on the door. He's coming back. If you're watching this one, if you're listening, you would never have known. Um, yeah. I mean, we make content on it, so we are kind of embedded in it, but, but also I still kind of don't believe it. Like I just, it needs, we just, I just time, time needs to sort of tick on by and, and, uh, and we'll, we'll get more comfortable with the idea that it's a positive club now. Um, let's talk about, Eddie Howe as a person, and I'll come back to you, Chris, in a minute. But um, Simon, you haven't spoken for a while, so it's it's your go. Um, what do you make about all that? There's quite a lot of positive PR around um, around Eddie Howe. 
you know, there's this training ground stuff, which you mentioned before and how nice it is to see and how exciting it is to see him in the training ground. There's um, really positive pieces coming out of people who are Bournemouth fans or Bournemouth um, journalists um, and all of that stuff. Um, do you think it's it's does it feel to you like it's sort of calculated do you think that it's that he's a, a savvy PR man or like he has savvy PR people on staff or do you think and and it's I guess it's not an either or, or, or but do you think he's just a nice guy it, it, it's <laughs> hmm, big question yeah <laughs> I I think he whether or not it's calculated clever or whatever you want to call it um I think he, he needs to be. He needs to be good with the media. What what how is known for is you know getting his teeth into a project and and seeing that f- come to fruition over several years. He does not have that luxury here. He has to he has to hit the ground running. Not not so much for his own job, but just for for everything. I think the this Newcastle team has well the whole of Newcastle has been starved of of any ounce of patience and kind of. He's going to have to recapture that, and it's not going to be brilliant straight away. And he's going to have to maneuver that in terms of how he comes across the media, how he analyzes games, and that's something that the the last manager just got away with not having to really address because there was no fans in stadiums. We, we we're in big trouble. We're, we're five points adrift. We've got some nice games coming up, but there's no guarantee that we're just suddenly going to be good enough to to win them. So he's got a big big job, and um. One of those things is this kind of media, how he plays that, because if he, if it goes wrong, it it could quite easily go the go, go the wrong way. Um, we, he's been left with a squad that's absolutely bereft of fitness, bereft of kind of tactical awareness. They're not very resilient. They seem very thin-skinned. That you know they get very the the, the Chelsea games apparently like that there's players bickering all over the pitch. It just seemed to be falling apart. So he's got to sort all that out, which will take time especially the fitness and the kind of tactical side of things. If he wants to instill his own philosophy, that's not going to happen overnight. Now, while that's going on, we might be poor, we might lose more games. So it's very, very important that how manages that and addresses it properly and, and talks to the fans and talks to the media in a way that kind of keeps us believing, which I do believe, by the way, I think he's capable of this, that uh, it will come and he really needs to preach patience. And we all, in return, need to show some patience in spite of the fact that we've basically had all of our patience killed over the last 15 years yeah I think that's fair enough I think that's fair enough I I think it's really interesting I'm particularly interested in like manager press conferences and um off air Chris mentioned that I think there's going to be one this week with well obviously there'd be the one this week with Eddie Howe we'll have to do I, I I find it really interesting how managers choose to communicate with the fans um Norman, I'll come to you. You spoke to a Bournemouth fan this morning and I know it was in your sort of the questions. I haven't finished listening to that podcast. I know it was in the questions. How did he communicate? How what was that Bournemouth fan's um, perception of that? Well, I spoke to, um, to Rory uh, McGraw on, on the podcast and he, and he was excellent. But I also listened because obviously you're only getting the, the opinion of one fan, right? I also listened and I've got to uh, reference um, Stephen Pearson. Yeah, thank you, Stephen, if you're watching this for sending me this link. Um, a Bournemouth podcast called, I think it's called Back of the Net, and they did this whole video called um, Debunking um, the Myths Around Eddie Howe or something along those lines, and they just, they just took a load of opinions on Eddie Howe and kind of unpacked them. It was brilliant. And, they all, and, and what I realised was that actually what Rory was saying and what these lads were saying was very similar, right? This is someone who isn't necessarily an excitable manager. You know, you get someone like like Klopp or, or Guardiola, and when they're, when they're annoyed or th- they feel someone's gone against them, it's... They get wound up. I mean, Klopp the other day kicked off massively, didn't he, at the end of the game? Different kinds of pressure. I understand that. However, how comes across very much, I suppose, from that kind of Benita school, right, where there's just a, there's a kind of a calm um, assuredness to what they're saying, and it's done in a kind of analytical manner. And that's that, that's what I, I was told. And obviously, my own opinion of how, having watched them interviewed over the years, is is someone who's like that. He does, he does give the impression of being very calm. And right now, in the heat of a relegation battle, after having Steve Bruce chucking his toys out the pram in virtually every press conference, this is exactly what we need, right? This is exactly what we need. And I get the impression, you know, and I might be hoping beyond hope here, but there's certain managers at Newcastle United who, when the TV's come on and they've been doing an interview or a press conference, you just stop, right? You stop and you listen. And that would have been, for me, Benitez, Robson, Keegan, even Chris Hutton to a certain extent, I used to like listening to because I thought he spoke very well when he analysed game, analyzed games. 
and I hope we get that home. I think we will, given you know, given what I've heard from the Bournemouth fans I've listened to so far. So feeling very positive about it. And as I say, a calm voice reassured on camera is necessary. Somebody on the training ground who was pushing them and pushing them and pushing them and maybe having to dish out the odd uh, telling off is, is what's needed. And I think we'll get that as well. So all positive. Excellent. Sorry. Yeah, I think those parallels with the likes of Robson, Keegan, um, even Raphael, obviously. Um, I look forward to that again. I remember being in in kind of, you'd walk down to, uh, I don't know, no particular pub, I'll say like you know, the Goose or or the... Um, or any any post match from, and then uh, the post match interviews come on the screen, and you get that kind of shh, shh, shh Rafa's talking, shh, Keegan's mm. talking. We'll get that with Hal. People are going to want to hear what he's got to say because he doesn't just talk in riddles, in cliches. He talks about the football match that you've just watched properly and addresses kind of what happened, what he thought the players did well. I've seen enough of him to know that that's what he can do. Um, you know, I had to stop watching Bruce by the end of it because it was just nonsense. No, no, none of the words he said reflected the game of football that just happened. So I look <laughs> forward once more, like those previous brilliant managers, to being able to hear what he's got to say about it, what he thinks went well, what he thinks went badly, and how you get an idea of how we're going to be training the next week to improve. And and uh, that's just that's that's exciting for me because of again, it's something we've we've lacked for so long. It's funny, isn't it? Sorry, Chris, I, you go ahead. No, I was just going to say I'm a little bit scared ahead of the press conferences coming up because when I used to ask Bruce tactical questions, I used to just basically get ignored and you'd answer a different question. Whereas now, <laughs> now I'm going to have a manager again realizing that I don't actually know what I'm talking about. So it's going to be it's going to be very different in that sense. I mean, tomorrow, it, I mean, what, this is Tuesday night. Tomorrow is going to be is unveiling 3 p.m. at right. St James's Park. Part of the part of it is actually going to be in person. Part of it is going to be over Zoom. And I think that that was necessary. The part of his his press conference was going to be in person because I think it's difficult for a manager to really get them their personality across without speaking to the journalists in the room. I think that it helps both them and uh, and the and the journalists and it helps fans to be able to to get that rapport and see how they're coming, how they actually their personality shines through. And I think that, that part of was part of the issue to to in the end with Bruce towards the end once it it had already descended into difficult circumstances but once it's all over Zoom I think you just don't have that rapport at all and and he just could not control that situation I don't think Howe will have the same and I think that once we get to a stage where all press conferences are back in person that will be a big help even if uh, Eddie Howe does like to have 8am press conferences and he does also have press conferences on Christmas Day I know he did that at Bournemouth a few times so yes I'm going to back to I to... love that sorry for you given that you have to cover them I also I'm biased because I hate Christmas so I'm like fine whatever um but that but that that typifies the work ethic does it not Oh, it does, and it's also basically. I, I know for a fact that that the the what the way he looks at press conferences as well as he sees them as, as a necessity, and he understands how important it is to speak to fans and relate to fans. I'll go on to point that in, in a second because I've got a, a story about that as well. But also, ideally, I think he sees it as part of an inconvenience about the fact that it it stops him from going about doing his coaching because he has to go and do that element. But he recognizes how important it is, and that it's not just because it's it's contractually obliged because the Premier League make clubs do it he knows that he needs to connect fans and speak with them but really what he wants to be doing is either being on the training pitch with his players or watching back training sessions and planning the next one and going forward but I know that the the, the day Bournemouth were relegated the Bournemouth played away at, at Goodison Park and after the game Eddie Howe went back onto the pitch and was seen on his on his mobile phone we, what he was actually doing because people thought he might be ringing his parents or whatever what he was actually doing was he was uh, on the phone to BBC Radio Solent performing his interview after that game on the phone. That, that's why he's like, he realises, and, and I know at Bournemouth it was slightly different because he'd built up and he'd got that rapport and he'd been there the whole time, but he also realises the commitment he has to have there and that it was the fans he needed to address immediately after that game. And I'm sure that conversation was very, very difficult to have in the middle of the Gusson Park pitch after the club he'd been at for so long had just been relegated, but he also realised the importance of doing that. That's amazing. It's yeah. amazing, isn't it? I'm sorry. I'm just. I'm. I'm awestruck by a manager. Like, I feel like we've been through the ringer a little bit with management and 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 dedication or diligence. And he just sounds like the opposite. I'm just excited about this. We, we've got such a big adjustment, haven't we? To to kind of get used to having a, a normal person who manages a football team properly. Yeah. Norman, yeah. did you want to jump in? I I think forming my opinion. I was excited when he arrived, but without having like listened to or, to or engaged with any Bournemouth fans. But this is this is a bloke who ultimately, you know, in his last season with Bournemouth, he got relegated. Right? 
but those fans, it it it, it doesn't it's not significant to them. It's like, yeah, you got relegated, but there's reasons behind it, and also this is what he achieved. And the Bournemouth fans who I've listened to, the one I've spoken with, said if he carried on at the end of that season, there would have been overjoyed still. It didn't, you know, it's it, that to me is is it, you know that that shows what. What what he what he did there the, the good work that he did and how highly he was held in regard even when as I say in that last season things didn't work out how he would have wanted them to, wanted them to um, the question I had for all of you actually was this podcast I listened to they said that sometimes how struggles with a plan B during a game um, you know that he's very fixated on tactics he sets a team up he, they're well drilled they're well trained but in the in the game itself actually making a kind of quick tactical switches something they didn't you know necessarily think was evidenced much at Bournemouth. My personal opinion is is that he he's gone away from the game. He is he's gone to training sessions at, at various European sides, I believe. You know, he's somebody who's learning all the time, so it doesn't unduly concern me. I'd just be interested to hear what any of you think on that particular point. It's it's something that's often thrown at, at managers. I think we've seen it more than that. Pardew never had a plan B. Bruce certainly Bruce never had a plan A. Um, <laughs> I think that's quite a key point. I think. How's plan A will work? So you won't be looking going, what's your plan B here? Yeah, if, if plan A doesn't work, you'll get them back on the training ground and, and work on what was supposed to happen. And you'll kind of have a bit more faith that the the longer term plan, which doesn't happen over one game, it happens over you know seasons. The, 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 you, don't, you don't really need a plan B. Plan B is if you can make in-game changes that, that affect it positively. That's a really hard thing to do. And yeah. yes, sometimes managers just never, ever get it right. Like Bruce's subs never seem to work. Very occasionally did. You know, will it coming on at the end of the season? You could argue that was his plan B, but it was also his plan A because we were rubbish up until that point in most of those games. So it's it's kind of I, I don't buy much into this having a plan B. Like you shouldn't need a plan B because your plan A should be well thought out, and I, I trust that it will be. Yeah, I I agree with Sai. I think I think um, the subs the subs point is the plan B, isn't it? It's to it, it, and 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 if and if you can make good substitutions. It will sort of shift play. You don't need to do a massive tactical change on pitch. You just need to bring on fresh legs, somebody who's going to maybe sit out slightly wider and push play up the pitch or something like that. And that will change the game enough in game to, to change things. Typically, yeah. if you make a good if you make good substitution. So I, and, and like you say, Norman, he's been studying all this time. And t- turned down the Celtic job, you know, d- didn't want that. Like he, he's he's known where what he wants and what his aspirations are, and I assume working on perceived weaknesses in his in his management style. Chris, what do you think? Yeah, and I, and I know that he has been. I mean, I mean, Norman mentions that he's been he's been going around Europe. I know he's been frustrated actually that the the break he's had has come during the pandemic because certainly early on he couldn't go as far and wide as he wanted to he hasn't been able to do as much of that research as he wanted but he's been to Rio Vallecano he's been to Atletico Madrid he's been to to Liverpool recently as well he's he's he, and he's also I know that he's watched back a lot of the certainly the last season at Bournemouth but a lot of his games at Bournemouth and try to work out and evolve himself and, and I was speaking to someone today who who, who knows his, his work quite well and basically saying that even when he was at Bournemouth he sort of evolved over time so when when he was first there and certainly when they were in the championship, say in midfield, for example, he wouldn't have countenanced having anything other than two pure ball players in central midfield. And he believed that we will just play well enough to do that. But over time, he signed someone like Jefferson Lerma because he he recognised that actually I can tweak things within the system slightly and I can bring in someone who's a little bit more defensive in some ways, but equally that allows other players to do their jobs even better. And I, I'd be shocked if he hasn't, if he doesn't come in and there's a, there's a couple of different innovations to what Howe has done previously. What, what they will be, I'm not entirely sure, but I think that the plan A will have been tweaked to a certain extent and whether that also means that he's looked at it and thought, how can I change things in game or how can I be more reactive? Because in the Premier League, there are so, I think over the last 18 months, two years, we've seen even more that teams are ch- tending to change system more and more frequently within games. And so I wouldn't be surprised to see if Howe, who was tended to favour a 4-4-1-1 for most of the time, although he has played other systems, whether he is tweaked and whether he wants to play a slightly different way over time. I'll be shocked if there aren't at least a couple of developments there. Yeah. Well, we are nearly sort of out of time. Don't want to keep this on too long. So I'll ask a bit of a quick fire one of each of you and then we'll wrap this right up. Um. I would like one thing from each of you that you think how can and will improve straight off the bat, short term, to help the team in the short term. Norman, what do you think he can and probably will do or just 
should do. Mobility. So I believe players such as um, Sean Longstaff, for example, I think his game will start to revert back, hopefully, to what it was under under Benitez. But I think the players all in general, their fitness levels go up and thereby their mobility on the pitch will go up. Excellent. Sai? It just needs to rip up it, it, the plan. I'm sure there's nothing written down about how we play now, but he just needs to completely rip that up. Don't listen to Jones. Like, mm. sorry, but just don't. Um, it should be Eddie Howe telling Graham Jones what he wants the players to work on in training, not Jones doing the manager's job for him, which it seems he was um, for the last year or so. So, yeah, I don't think that'll be hard. I think I think he should hopefully be able to work with Jones, but he really needs to just get completely away from whatever the hell's been going on for the last nine months. Nice controversial comments. Um, Chris, what about you? Well, what I would like to see is an improvement of Newcastle on the ball because we've had it for so... Steve Bruce said so many times that oh, Newcastle weren't good enough. To, in possession, we were terrible today. Jones has said over the last few weeks as well, and yet I've seen no discernible improvement over the course of the last two and a half years. And I think it's going to be difficult to say that because they've been in, in that element to a certain degree, but how likes his teams to play with the ball, he likes them to be efficient, he likes them to use it well. And so I'd like to think he could at least have some improvement of that in the immediate short term and over the slightly longer term that Newcastle will become a far better side when have possession of the football rather than being scared of having it. Yes, they are all terrified. Presumably that's being rectified as we speak. Um, all right, well, fingers crossed for the Brentford game in a week and a few days. Um, and thank you once again to Chris for joining us this evening. Thanks, Norman. Thanks, Ty. Um, loads more of this on our Patreon platform. I've said it a hundred times now. Um, we are also, we have been nominated for an FSA award. Um for Best Fan Media, we're up against some really, really tough competition, some absolutely incredible fan media that's out there um, for different clubs um, across the uh, across the Premier League. Um, and we're just delighted to have been nominated. We are, it's open for you guys to vote on. It's So if you enjoyed this, um, I think it'll be in the show notes or underneath the YouTube video. Um, please do consider voting for us on there. Alan Shearer is up for an award as well, so you can also vote for him. So it's like a double whammy. Um, thank you so much for listening and or watching. Thanks again to everybody for joining me this evening. And we'll be back soon with more content. Thanks. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.